one day, Richard Garfield was asked to make a portable game that could be played in the downtime that happens during most conventions. And so the ideas began to run through his head. And while hiking one day, it came to him. He could create a collectible card game based on an idea that he had as a teenager called the Five Magics. Now it focused on five different magics, each from a geographically diverse area. He presented this idea back to the person that asked, and it was an instant hit, later becoming Magic the Gathering, the world's first collectible card game. Today we're going to look at detail at the history of Magic the Gathering and talk about all the video games that it has inspired throughout the years. So stick around and get ready to customize your deck as we take today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 137th episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we'll tell you the story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, console, person, technology, just something relevant to the current week. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about Magic the Gathering, the collectible card game, and all of the video games that it has inspired throughout the years. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who has gained all of his life philosophies off the face of Magic cards. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, why don't you drop some mad knowledge on our listeners? Um, well, you, you got to make sure that you have the energy or the mana to uh, cast your spells in life. If you, you ain't got the, the power to back it up, then you ain't going to do nothing. And, and you got to be wary of that summoning sickness. Okay. Did that come off a specific card? What's that? That knowledge. Is there a specific card that says, yo, you got to have the energy in life to make it through it? I mean, it's just the majority of cards, man. A lot of your cards, you need energy to play. That's if you deep. ain't got the energy, what are you going to do? That's just, that's very deep. I never knew magic could be that deep. Damn straight, Dave. What you been playing this week? Well, Dave, pretty light week. It's been RuneScape, Rocket League, and Construction Simulator. Cool. Yeah, not a whole lot for me. How about yourself? I honestly can't remember the last time I played a video game. When's the last time we played a game? Did we play after recording last week? We sure did, so we at least have Rocket League for you. I don't think I've played a game since Rocket League this week. It's Well, shit. I know, a very rare week for me. Um, I just uh, had stuff going on and haven't had an opportunity to sit down and play video games. So I am even like, maybe you want to say Melvor, but I've maybe checked it once, if not twice in the last week. Like, I really have not played video games. So. So, yeah, Magic the Gathering. I know the answer to this. You've played a lot of have you played a lot of Magic the Gathering, you'd say? I don't know if I'd call it a lot, a lot. Um, 
I mean, my sophomore year of college was definitely by far my most heavily played um, in that I would, well, you know, sophomore, junior year, actually. I had uh, some roommates my sophomore year that I played with exclusively, and then when they all moved out, one of them lived across the parking lot in the, uh, the apartment complex that we were at, and I would go over there some nights to play Magic. So, I mean, two years pretty... On average, at least twice a week. So if you want to call that a lot, yeah, but I definitely don't have uh, nearly as much experience or length of time playing as you did. That's very true. That That is very true. I. Uh, well, I mean, we, we can. When did I start? I think I started revised edition, third edition. It was only a couple years after the game started. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was early on when, the, when everything was in its heyday and, um, it was a fun time, you know, when the cards were shooting up in price. And I remember things like the black Lotus was sold for stupid amounts of money. Um, you know, this is the first collectible card game, so there wasn't anything like it before this came out. And once it came out, like everybody wanted to do it, you know, growing up, uh, our dad, I don't know for you, really, I don't know for you. Was he still into comics by the time you grew up and were able to enjoy them? Oh, Dave, sitting above me on the shelf is two boxes full of comics that are mine alone, not including the plethora he has yeah i'm pretty sure we've had a conversation over what we're gonna fight over as an inheritance comic wise Uh, yeah you you can take the comics but we'll talk (laughs) (laughs) i have plenty of my own yeah you want the cars i'll take the comics um yeah so we 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 were big comic book people and every I don't even know what day it was, but there was always a day of the week. See, now comic book nerds are going to know, but I don't remember anymore because I haven't done it in years. There's a day of the week the new comics come out, and we would always go to said comic book store to get our comics that we subscribed to uh, that day of the week. And as Magic became a thing, it was in the comic book store, and Dad bought me a starter set and then copies, and then I just wanted more, and I started collecting. And I'm, I mean, I still have... I never had like a collection that was that worthwhile. Um, I mean, I had a competitive collection, if that makes sense, since it's a competitive game, but I never really had a, a, a collection that was worth a ton of money. But I, I mean, I still have it. I, I think I still have it at least. I don't know. Um, but I've been around people who played Magic uh, forever. You know, I I played and then when I stopped playing, I still had roommates who played up until, I don't know, up until I, you know, moved out and got my own place this with with my current, you know, with with Lacey, my wife. So, uh, yeah, fun times. I've been around Magic my whole life. He's not wrong. Now that I think about it, he's not wrong at all. So and I have played lots of the game that we're going to talk about today, but let's start earlier than that so rob dave richard garfield is the great great grandson of former united States president james a garfield his uncle his grand uncle samuel fay 
invented the paperclip. Interesting family line. Richard Garfield's father was an architect, and as a result, his childhood was spent in many different places throughout the world. Throughout this time, Richard showed an interest in puzzles and games. Many times, while they were staying in a foreign country, like Bangladesh or Nepal, for example, Garfield did not speak the native tongue, you know, but he still managed to make friends (laughs) through playing cards or throwing dice and that continued to foster a lifelong interest in games while abroad he heard about the game that everybody heard about if you were a kid in the 70s and that would be dungeons and dragons so when his family came back to united states and they settled in oregon he when he was he was about 12 when this happened he went to purchase a copy but surprisingly he had no luck so he developed his own version of the game based on descriptions he had been read and what he told which in hindsight was actually a game that was closer to clue his game ended up having players move from room to room fighting monsters with a fixed end goal but eventually he did get his hands on the copy and he was surprised to find that it was a more open game than he originally thought. And Dungeons and Dragons really changed things for Richard Garfield. It really opened his mind and his his like foresight into what games could be. In a later interview, he said, My reaction was a bit different than many of my peers. Rather than falling in love with Dungeons and Dragons, I fell in love with games in general. I began to seek out and play all sorts of new games, traditional games, war games, popular games, niche games, role-playing games, and so on and so forth. When I found a game that I didn't immediately like, I would play it until I learned to appreciate what it did for its players. I studied game strategy books and game history books. I designed my own games, and I fantasized about being a game designer. So Dungeons & Dragons is what did it for Richard Garfield. So coming off of what he learned after playing Dungeons and Dragons, he began to toy around with the idea of a game called The Five Magics. It was a game based on five elemental magics from geographically diverse areas. But life moved on, Garfield grew up, and he went away to college. In 1985, he received a Bachelor's of Science in Computer Mathematics. That same year, he started to plan the design of a game called robo rally now robo rally is now a board game in which two to eight players assume control of robot controlled computers in a dangerous widget factory filled with moving coarse altering conveyor belts metal melting laser beams bottomless pits crushers and a variety of other obstacles using randomly dealt program cards the controllers attempt to maneuver their robot to a pre-designated number of checkpoints in a particular order. This is what it became. In 1985, though, he had really just started to tinker with this. So he got his Bachelor's of Science. After getting his bachelor's, he joined the University of Pennsylvania as a doctoral candidate in combinatorial mathematics. Now, during his doctoral candidacy, he took the robo-rally idea and really began to refine it. He play-tested it with local students. He 
just he took what he got back from the playtest and he really started to to make it a thing, you know. And as he was doing so, he began shopping around for a company to publish it. And this brought him to a company called Wizards of the Coast. Now, Wizards of the Coast had been founded by Peter Atkinson in 1990. It was named after a guild of wizards from a Dungeon and Dragons campaign that Atkinson had been playing with a group of friends. In the beginning, the company only published role-playing games. Its first work ever published was a religion-based fantasy role-playing game supplement called The Primal Order. And what The Primal Order did was provided guidelines for game masters to develop individual gods of various power levels, to develop entire pantheons of gods, and then also the guidelines to develop a network to basically maintain or increase slash decrease godly status. And it did so through what they called the cap system. And the cap system was really just a guideline. And within this supplement was how you could take the cap system and convert it into your own gaming system. So it could be a supplement for Dungeons and Dragons, or it could be a supplement for, I, I don't know, fantasy. Some of the other ones we talked about. It could, it could, it could just be converted. It, it wasn't specific to its own gaming system. You, you could technically convert it into any gaming system. In 1992, however, Wizards of the Coast was sued by a company called Palladium Games for Primal Order's references to Palladium's games and gaming systems in, in the Primal Order. That suit was settled a year later in 1993. But in the midst of that going on, that whole legal battle, that's when Richard Garfield approached Wizards of the Coast with RoboRally. But Atkinson felt that RoboRally was way too complicated and way too expensive to produce. However, he really liked Richard Garfield, and he thought that Richard Garfield had some great ideas. And as part of their conversation, Atkinson told Garfield that he was currently looking for a portable game that could be played in the downtime that frequently occurs at gaming conventions. And so after their meeting, Richard Garfield really started to think about this conversation. Now, while out hiking one day, he said, an idea came to him that he could take his five magics concept and apply it to collectible color theme cards so that each player could make their own customizable deck that would reflect their playstyle and their personality. So he came back and he took the idea back to Atkinson and Atkinson immediately recognized the potential for a game that could be successful and expanded indefinitely with new cards, which was very different from pretty much any board game that was out there. Right. Cause you, cause you can't really expand most board games unless you get like, I mean, I know they have expansions, but it's, it's a, it's a different concept. You know what I mean? I suppose. Yeah. Atkinson immediately agreed to produce the game in order to do so, because he was in the middle of that legal battle with palladium games. He helped Richard Garfield set up a corporation called Garfield games. And this was in order to protect this concept from the legal battles that they were fighting with Palladium. So Garfield Games 
and Garfield himself, you know, got to work creating magic to get magic. It was called magic at the time. And then the idea was that they were going to license the production and sale rights to wizards of the coast. And then once the suit was settled, and this is what did in fact happen, Garfield games was shut down and the game was quote unquote sold to wizards of the coast, like full control of it. Okay. So, Atkinson is laying the ground groundwork with Garfield Games. Wizards of the Coast is going through a legal battle, and Richard Garfield was actually creating the game. Um, it took him about six months to develop an initial version of the game. The first version that he ever created used pre-existing copyrighted art. The cards were copied to paper. And they were given to volunteers at the local university to play test the game. Now, he has said in later interviews that his two major influences as he worked through this early the, the game period, let's call it the influences of the game, were one, a game called Cosmic Encounter. This is one of the first games to ever have a concept that normal rules could sometimes be overridden. And of course, his other one would have been Dungeons and Dragons, which comes as absolutely no surprise. There's a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and magic, isn't there? I mean, dragons, maybe I don't know so much dungeons. I mean, but the whole concept is a fantasy concept and Dungeons and Dragons is like the fantasy concept, you know? Well, yeah, but I mean, I just don't think there's any cards that are dungeons that I'm aware of. Garfield also cited other games like Stratomatic Baseball because he enjoyed it as a game that differs in how it's played each time because you always get a different set of cards in play. Now, we covered Stratomagic Baseball before. If you want to learn a little bit more about it, it was very influential to the creation of John Madden football. So go ahead, go back and check out John Madden football, not just John Madden football. If I remember correctly, shadow magic baseball is like the reason why the guy created electronic arts. He was into Stratomatic. He wanted to do a football version game. He wanted to turn Stratomatic into a video game and he created electronic arts with the notion of creating that football game. That's it, I believe. Go check it out. At this point, everything just kind of kept on happening, right? Wizards of the Coast is pushing through the legal battle. Garfield kept the design phase going on what was known at the time as magic. Um, and they're trying to work all the details out, right? Um, the name was a problem. The company's lawyers advised against calling it just magic because it was too broad of a term, unable to be copyrighted and probably going to be an issue because of it. Initially, they had considered calling the game Mana Clash, uh, which does not have... I, I don't like it at all. Do you like it at all? I mean, it's descriptive, but it's not, it's not yeah. what we know. Yeah, I can't do Mana Clash. But the truth of the matter is people have been calling it magic from the get-go. Magic is kind of what it was to everyone. That's a really hard habit to break. So they started to play off that... Eventually, Magic the Gathering was suggested. Everyone liked it. Uh, it cleared legal. And so they decided that it was going to be the name uh, to use. So. 
Magic the Gathering was set to be released at Gen Con in August of 1993. Um, They printed about 2.5 million cards that in their minds was going to be the stock of the game for the rest of 1993. But uh, no surprise to us now, they sold out the entire stock of 2.5 million cards by the end of Gen Con itself. Hmm. By October of 1993, they had sold through 10 million cards. And the game just kind of skyrocketed in popularity. I mean, so much so, and I, I distinctly remember this, Wizards of the Coast never advertised because they couldn't keep up with demand and they didn't want to make their problem worse than it actually was. Um now I believe '94 was the year I got into Magic. I think I came a. I think I came the next year. Um, I think I came the next year, and um, yeah. I mean, by that time it was like in just like full swing. I have to look this up real quick because I don't remember. I don't remember colors of Magic, organized play, tournaments, development, design, first release, expansions. Let's see. Arabian's Night was December of 93. I know I came after that. And Mirage was 96. I came before that. So that leaves it 94, 95. Revised was 1994. Yeah, I, I came in revised. I came in 94. So Gross, Dave. I know, right? I know. It was gross. I just mean that you came in there. Yeah. Let's see, by April of 97, 2 billion magic cards had been sold. Jesus. So, um, uh, in February 2018, Wizards noted that between the year of 2008 and 2016, that they printed over 20 billion magic the gathering cards in that time alone. But how many sold? Yeah. And as of 2022, uh, with all the expansions throughout the years, there are over 20,000 unique Magic the Gathering cards to collect. Which is really fucking crazy if you think about it. And there are people out there who own multiple copies of each, I'm sure. That's It's absolutely true. Absolutely true. So, um, yeah. So Magic came out and we were all into it and playing with our friends and buying clear sleeves so we didn't mess up our cards because um there were collectible cards that were worth a lot of a lot a lot of money i only remember black lotus but i think there were some diamond cards that were super expensive at the time too um you don't remember any of them do you well i know that some of the planeswalkers cards were starting to get pretty pricey when i was looking into them but um I didn't tend to look at expensive cards just because I was a college kid with not a lot of money. So I was trying to make what was cheap, not what was good. Oh, that's right. The power nine, the power nine from the, the, the first, the limited edition, the first edition, black Lotus and the Moxes, Mox Pearl, Mox Sapphire, Mox Jet, Mox Ruby, Mox Emerald. And then also ancestral recall and time walk and time twister ancestral recall and time walk. Ugh. The, the yeah i remember all that those were crazy those were so crazy the the um the strategy that people that people could could nail with all that stuff uh, let's see in april 2016 an alpha black lotus card graded as a 9.5 out of 10 
sold on eBay for $38,000. Oh on my Febu- God. On February 27th, 2019, a Black Lotus graded 9.5 out of 10 was sold in auction for $166,000. That is incredible. I know. I know. So, yeah, it was a good, um, it's good. Good, 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 good. Um, so, as the popularity of Magic rose, it should be not surprising in any way, shape, or form that uh, here at, you know, I'd say I'd say these mid-late 90s were probably the height of it in a lot of ways. Not that it ever laid down, but I, I think people were really crazy about it here in the beginning, you know? Um, they started making video games. They started making video games. And the very first one, why we're talking about this today, was published by Microprose in April of 1997. It is often referred to as Chandelar, after the plane of Chandelar, which is where the game takes place. Uh, in all reality, it is just called Magic the Gathering. It was a Windows game. And in it, you travel the land, you fight enemies to gain new cards, and you have to go to castles to defeat five wizards, one for each color. And then after you get all the five wizards, you have to go and defeat a planeswalker who has a deck of all five colors. And I loved this game. What I remember about it is it's like, it has like a RP it's an RPG, right? Um, or like an adventure role playing game. It, it has an, a map that you follow and you get gold from the fights to go buy new cards and towns. There are dungeons, there are random battles. Um, your characters progress because as you do these battles and get cards, you get new abilities and your life point total actually goes up. So as you play, you get stronger, hence the role-playing. And the battles were magic battles. So it was a really great role-playing game, a lot of fun, that was that fought with magic battles. And it was like the coolest thing ever, in all honesty. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. You know, it was made at Microprose, um, Microprose was not in good shape at the time. They were losing tons of money, and because they were on shaky ground, people were leaving the company in droves. Um, in fact, one of the unique things about this Magic the Gathering was because people were leaving and they felt the project was in trouble, they actually assigned Sid Meier of Civiliz- Civilization fame to the game to help work on it. And this would actually be the last game Meyer would ever work on as an employee at Microprose because he left during this too to go found his own studio for Axis, which of course is all, you know, what does all the civilization games even to today. So it's got a little Sid Meier, not that he probably did much, but you know, it's a little fun fact about the game, right? No, it definitely is. You've never played any of these early ones. Have you, did you play you played the later ones, though, correct? Before I get to that point. Well, Dave. Yeah, I know you have, because I know you have. No. You've never played the later ones? I have not played any of the Magic the Gathering video games. You're shitting me. I am not. The closest I've been would have to be Hearthstone. Or Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, 
I'm saying that still Hearthstone's basically magic. Let's be honest. It's just a cheating. Yu-Gi-Oh is very different. There's a very large variation in mechanics of in things. Yeah, I Um, guess. I mean, same with Pokemon. Those are both two games that I was also very involved in in college. Um, I thought that I could swear that you played like Magic Online or something, but it must have been one of the other ones. You know, maybe I logged into it and played a game, but. I definitely didn't play it enough to remember it. The only thing, like I said, I did the card game, but I also own the Arena of the Planeswalker board games. Um, the original plus some expansion packs. So that's more of what I did. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, this was really cool, mostly for that single player campaign. You know, you would just click your mouse to move across the planes. And, you know, if you got into a battle, you'd have a card battle and get gold, go to a town, you know, get, get each town was in a specific, like in the mountains would be red cards and in the swamps would be black cards and in the forest would be green cards. So they stuck with the theme of, you know, being geographically diverse, which was super cool. And yeah, you would just get stronger and stronger and stronger until you could fight the, the main baddie and then defeat him, which I know I was able to do on multiple occasions. It wasn't, that difficult but i really enjoyed it i mean when you're really into magic it's a fun way to play it you know what i mean no absolutely um 97 was a they 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 try to do a lot at one time in terms of uh video games um there are some games that didn't do very well another one was called magic the gathering battle mage it was a pc and playstation real-time strategy game based in the universe um, they tried to turn that into a, an arcade cabinet, um, all, uh, also made by Acclaim. Um, it is also a real-time strategy game. It, uh, In all honesty, Acclaim's coin-op division went out of business while this game was being produced, so it never went into full production. In fact, it's believed that there's only about four of these in the world right now. So, um, and And basically... In these games, the gameplay is somewhere it's like a cross between real time combat and strategy. So like you had like white soldiers were healers and blue soldiers were water creatures and black were death. And like in the arcade, you control it with a trackball in the PC game. You controlled it with the mouse, obviously. And I mean, it's a real time strategy game. You, you know, get resources to build up, build more units and you send those units to battle to defeat your enemy. This one just kind of happened to use magic as the basis of it. It didn't really have the, the card play. It was just in in that. And it kept the concept of the five magics and how they played against one another as the balance for how the units went against one another in um in the game. So there you go. Real time strategy magic game. Um, that sounds pretty neat. I mean, it was different. They made a Magic the Gathering for the Dreamcast, which was produced in, or developed in, and uh, released in J- Jap- Japan only. Um, it takes place in a very different area than than any of the others. It includes cards from like the sixth edition, some of the expansions like Alliances and Tempest. Um, it also had some cards that were unique to it. Um, because their mechanics worked better as a video game and would be really difficult to implement in real life. 
so there's some unique things to it, but it's pretty much just a, another card-based game. Um, you know, because they were working their way to to that kind of stuff. Which really brings us to the next one, which is the one I could swear you played, uh, which is Magic the Gathering Online. Now, Magic the Gathering Online was released in June of 2002, and it's still operational today. And essentially, it is literally the collectible card game, but it's it's online. You buy virtual currency. You use that currency to um, to buy booster packs and make your decks. And it is everything that the, the, the real game is in real life, but it's it's set in its own economy online. Um, still, since about 2017, the cards get released to Magic the Gathering online in their online version the same day the paper um, cards get released. So they get expansions, the new cards, just like it's just it's basically just a virtual collection and not a not a physical one. Yeah, no, I definitely understand. But yeah, people still play Magic the Gathering online. They still have tournaments. There's a specific Magic the Gathering online tournament. It is a collectible card game. That just doesn't have physical cards. Just like, I mean, that's what Hearthstone is since you brought it up. Yeah. Do you know what, uh, what platform that would have been on? So it's a windows thing and they use their own, like they use their own client to log into. So my guess is you could probably get it through like steam, but then like it probably loads up to its own client. Cause that's how they control I mean, you always have to be careful when you have stuff like that, uh, like like collectibles, you know, so very true. I yeah, I just did a quick look um, and I do not have any of the steam titles that I are magic um, have not been played by me. They have been played by friends of me. So I think that uh, it's possible you may have seen them and just assume that I played with them. But yeah, I, I if anything, it was maybe a one time thing with magic, but most of my time, as far as the video games, was spent on Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon, and then Magic. I like I said, I always did the physical card game, or I did the uh, Arena of the Planeswalker board game. Yeah, no, that's fair. I don't know why I thought you had played it. I mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe I was just paying attention to the other card games. So it's a fair assumption to make. I mean, I play a lot of card games. It's shocking that I haven't played any of them, but. You know, it's just this was something that I really did enjoyed doing more physical because it's that's how I got into it was playing with the cards. Whereas, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon, I grew up watching the cartoons. It's not like they had a Magic the Gathering cartoon where I could watch it on there and be like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I want to play video games of it and do, be more like them. It was, hey, this is something that I'm going to grab some beer with my roommates and have play card games. Throw pizza boxes at each other. <laughs> I mean, hey, that that's that's how it was. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it is kind of surprising. I'd never played the video games, but um, surprisingly, yeah, I just haven't. Um, yeah, I don't know. I always I always got into it. I, I never got into it later. Like I have cards and I've played later, but like now they have commander as a format. And this year they came out with a new, new format called Oathbreaker, which I have no clue what that is. I only read about that when I was doing my research for this. I had friends that played Commander when it came out and I've played, I've, I've played a few games of Commander with their decks. Be like, Hey, come try this. This is so cool. 
but I can't, I can't, I don't know. It's not bad, but I'm just a traditional, like when I think about the strategy and stuff uh, needed to play the game, I am very much just a standard constructed deck, uh, you know, traditional magic player. So. No, I'm absolutely with you on that, Dave. I mean, I also have, um, I've also played the commander style. Um, I haven't heard of this new one, but I'm, you know, I don't have anyone that really plays magic anymore. Um, so commander, I did try a couple games. I have a commander deck and much like you, I just, it, it wasn't the same to me. I preferred the, uh, the strategic battles you had to have with the original and, you know, it, nothing takes me back to my I had a my roommate in college Greg he was very into magic he would build decks that's all he would do had you know probably would have been fun to take up against you because this guy built some nasty decks like I remember that there was one that if I remember correctly was built around Eldrazi but the whole purpose was to use the door to nothingness do you know that one Dave I don't what is door to nothingness so do? The door to nothingness requires two of every mana type. And when tapped, you sacrifice that card and target player loses the game. <laughs> yeah. That sounds so broken. Eldrazi, you could create based when you tap them, they would create a mana of your choosing. Um, so he would just have a bunch of Eldrazi because they're colorless and you can get them out with any mana. Um if I'm, I might be remembering that incorrectly, but I know that Eldrazi was one deck that he did, but it was the whole deck for the door of nothingness would literally be to create the mana. And then boom, you just, Hey, you tap this card, you lose the game. So, um, things like that, or he had decks that would be, these creatures can't be destroyed. Um, so he would literally just start summoning any kind of creature and keep coming out and just, an army of things to tap and defend with so you couldn't deal damage to him um had cards that this target player can't be damaged target player can't lose the game yes yeah, literally a card that said cannot lose the game <laughs> like it, it just it blows my mind the different levels of like the complexities i mean it's the same way with pokemon and it's the same way with Yu-Gi-Oh. But it with the mana feature, there's an extra layer of difficulty and strategy that goes into the game. And it's it's just crazy to think that how much time and effort people have spent into learning these and finding decks and tweaking them to make them just disgusting. I know. Well, and they do it all the time. I'm reading about Oathbreaker. It, it's actually a, a fan-created variation of Commander, and it was only officially supported by Wizards of the Coast as of last month, March of 2023. So it's a it's a brand a new format officially. Um, it's a free-for-all multiplayer with three to five players. They start with 20 life each. You build a 58-card deck, and you select a Oathbreaker, a Planeswalker card, and a signature spell, which is an in-store sorcery, that matches the color identity of the Oathbreaker to go with the deck. And Oathbreaker and Signature Spells start in the command zone at the beginning of each game and can be cast during a game at their normal cost. It's a quicker format because each player only starts with 20 life. So, I don't know. It, it's, it sounds like a lower life variation of uh, Commander. But I'm sure there's more complexity to it. Because you don't just have... You don't just have a... Um, you don't just have a Commander... 
you type, you know, your commander's now an Oathbreaker and he's got the signature spell to go with it. So anyway, anyway, still on to video games. Um, there was a game called Magic the Gathering Battlegrounds. It was yet another real time strategy game. Um, it was kind of different um, than than the card game itself. Uh, the game had heroes and mages that could summon fourth powerful monsters, spells, and abilities. Um, Duelists would learn new magical spells by completing the campaign. And as you beat things, you got better spell books. Um, basically, it's real-time combat. And the duelists, like, the way they fight is you create, you pre-create these spell books to duke it out. So it's not really card play. It's like the early ones of real-time strategy where, like, you, you, you know, you control your units, you send them to battle, but you get to control the spells that they cast by giving them these pre-made spell books. So it's kind of this weird blend between the two if that makes sense so um and that brings us to the uh the one i played which is magic the gathering duels of the planeswalkers um it was this one came out in 2009 first for the 360 then eventually for windows and ps3 i have i have it for windows it follows the standard rules of music ma music magic Good Lord. It was developed as an arcade game and it really simplifies the game so that new players can be introduced to magic. You don't have any deck construction. Instead, you have a you have access to a limited number of pre-made decks. And as you play and win in the campaign mode against computer opponents, you get to unlock new decks and eventually cards that could be inserted into said pre-made decks. Um, it also had a challenge mode, which was a puzzle mode, where it would put you in a certain situation and put the, the board in front of you, and you had to figure out how to get out of it, which, which was kind of cool, actually. So, And this very much became a month, a yearly thing. In June of 2011, there was uh, Magic the Gathering Duels of the Planewalkers 2012, which just had some expansions, um, brought brought the total no, total number of decks up to nineteen with it and its expansions. Uh, in June of twenty twelve, you got Duels of the Planeswalker Walkers twenty thirteen. Uh, this one had some kind of cool stuff. It had four different campaigns to it. There was an initial campaign. There was a quote unquote revenge campaign based on that. There was a challenge campaign. And then there was a like plane chase mode, which was where you got to fight against groups of three opponents, basically. Um, so there were all these different campaigns that they brought to the game. So that was a change. In June of 2013, you got Duels of the Planewalker 2014, which now finally what we on four versions into it had a feature that they touted called Sealed Play which allowed players to open virtual booster packs and build their own decks, which could be used in the campaign and multiplayer, a.k.a. they probably 2014's what proliferation of microtransaction time. They probably turned it into microtransactions. You know what I mean? As is the case with any TCG online now. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I've 
multiple Yu-Gi-Oh ones that I've played, and there's a Pokemon one as well, that it's the same way. You buy the booster packs, or you can earn in-game currency by playing and unlocking things. Um, but if you want to build the best decks, you obviously got to spend a little cash. And the next year, July 2014, you got Duels of the Planewalker 2015. Now you can actually create custom decks. Huzzah! Um, as games were won, and you would earn experience, which would let you purchase new cards that you could add to your decks. You could also purchase virtual booster packs, again, to get more cards to uh, build your own decks. So finally, by 2015 version, you could create your own decks. Yay! Woohoo! Now this was in the midst of this, after the first Duels of Planewalkers, a game was created called Magic Gathering Tactics, which was an online turn-based strategy game, which was released on PC, Windows, Steam, all your places like that. So, and basically, again, turn-based strategy game. You are a planeswalker, have to defeat opponents' planeswalkers. You control the planeswalker and his army in the form of spellbooks. So you basically had spellbooks in front of you. They were meant to visually represent the planeswalker and his army, and you could change your decks, your cards, in and out your spellbooks to change the strategy of the game, just like the other one. So basically, they they took the card building out, but but um, they took the card building out, but still create left the strategy is what I'm trying to say by creating spellbooks. There were some other differences. Uh, there were no land cards to provide mana, unlike most of the rest. You just had a like a pool of mana that was available to you each turn that would just you get one more mana each turn. Um, also, your planeswalkers could level up and specialize in things. They they had spe- specializations, um, but otherwise, it was just a, a turn based game, like a grid turn based game. You know, there were figures and. Like a tactical RPG. That's what I'm trying to say. Interesting. Now, the Duels of the Planewalkers gave way to a game called Magic Duels. This was its successor. Um, This was a free-to-play game that followed the card game, um, but it also had a story mode that followed the origin story of five of the game's Planewalkers. Um, Technically... Even though Magic of um, Duels of Planeswalkers 2015 would let you build your own deck, there were limitations to it. So this was technically the first of their Magic games that let you do freeform deck construction. Um, it did have microtransactions to where you could purchase cards and or boosters. No surprise, it is a free-to-play online title. That's the way they make their money. I, I mean, that comes as no surprise. And yeah, it had the campaign. You could battle line with other people um, on, on as magic duels. So, uh, Rob, did you ever play Puzzle Quest on the DS? I don't believe that I did. No, no, I, that, I've heard of it, but I didn't play it. Gotcha. I wasn't sure if you were into it at the time because I like when the first Puzzle Quest came out. I think everyone I knew wanted to play it. Um, but I, I, I didn't know if that kind of passed, passed you up. Anyways, they made a Magic the Gathering puzzle quest. It took the gem matching concept of puzzle quest and combined it with the, you know, some of the collectible aspects of Magic the Gathering. They released it for cell phones, mobile systems in December of 2015. Um, 
and yeah, that's that's pretty it. Pretty much it for that one. And that kind of gets us to the modern one that a lot of people play, which is called Magic the Gathering Arena. It is also a free-to-play um, digital collectible card game. It's published by Wizards of the Coast themselves. This is straight up a digital adaption of Magic the Gathering. Allows players to gain cards through booster packs, has in-game achievements that you can also earn cards through. There are microtransactional purchases you can earn cards through. And then, of course, you can build your own deck to challenge other players. Now, they designed Arena to be a modern representation of what Magic the Gathering should be like while playing online against other players compared to their last foray in this, which was actually Magic the Gathering Online. So it basically took Magic the Gathering Online, which is still exists, to be honest with you, and modernized it. Um, they kind of both run. Um, one of the things they really want to do with Arena, because they want it to take over for online, is that it now corresponds with the actual physical cards. So when there's a physical release of a new expansion, the digital version is available the same day, just like Magic the Gathering Online. So this is their this is their modernization, but as we know, some people just don't like to change, and they stick with it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Arena modernized it, but they never really anticipated it to replace Magic the Gathering Online. Magic the Gathering Online supports the entirety of Magic's card history, while Arena only includes cards in the current standard sets. Like, it's only going to include cards from when it was released moving forward. doesn't have anything historical. Um, and that's the difference between Magic the Gathering Arena and Magic the Gathering Online, and why so many people are still stuck on online are adamant because they like to play with their historic with the old decks and expansions and so on and so forth. You know what I mean? So I mean, absolutely. If they're still tournament viable, why not be able to use the old cards? Yeah, for sure. But that's what you have. I mean, that's what's viable nowadays. You really have the modern version of Magic the Gathering Arena for all the newer sets, and you have a lot of people who hold on to Magic the Gathering online for all the old stuff. But it's funny because Magic the Gathering online includes the new stuff, so I don't know why they didn't just try to modernize that per se, but whatever that's them not me more um, game more games for more monies dave yeah for sure but yeah that's the that that there my friends is all of the magic video games and how the great great grandson of president garfield developed the world's first collectible card game fun huh it is definitely quite the story um never would have guessed that magic had any anything to do with presidency i mean it doesn't but it's still cool i never knew that he was related to president garfield it, it's just like you hear names and you don't think about it right you would you wouldn't you would hear the name richard garfield and your first thought wouldn't be i wonder if he's related to president garfield that's just uh, not no not at all so to find out he actually was was kind of cool uh yeah that's magic. I really like magic. I don't play it anymore, but I it, this almost made me want to like log into Magic Arena and play some games. But as we all know, I didn't play any video games this week at all. At all. 
Okay, good talk. I mean, what do you want me to say to that, Dave? You didn't play any video games at all. Thank you. I appreciate you recognizing that I have a problem. How are we going to fix it? I'm, I don't want I'm not going to fix it. I don't have time. So I was going to say, you got to have time to fix things to be able to play games. And then, and then we're just getting back to the root cause of the problem. Yeah. So one of the influences for Magic the Gathering was Stratomatic Baseball. And as we said, Stratomatic Baseball was very much part of the creation of John Madden football, which, of course, we did an episode on. Um, so if you'd like to learn all about uh, the history, you know, a little bit more about what Stratomatic Baseball is or the history of John Madden football and electronic arts, go ahead and check out that old episode of ours. It can be found on our website at www.memorycardlane.com. And Rob, what else can these fine folks find on our website? Well, Dave, on our website, a calendar of both past and future episodes can be found. So you can either go listen to some of those older ones, like the one on John Madden football, or future episodes that we have coming up. Maybe come see what we're, we're talking about in coming weeks and provide a little bit of insight and your own little personal story about said game. You can find some little blurbs about Dave and I to learn a little bit more about us. You can find links to our social media such as me, who can be found on Twitch and Twitter as Rob underscore the letter O underscore Raptor, R-A-P-T-O-R, Rob O. Raptor. Rob O. Raptor. What about you, Dave? Where, are you, where, where can people find you? I can be found on various platforms as David is wrong underscore underscore David underscore is underscore wrong. And that's about that. That's that's magic. Lots of fun. Play with your cards or don't play with your cards and then sell them for insane amounts of money. It's really up to you. I don't know. What do you want to do? Or I guess you can go online and play and collect and collect digital cards nowadays. That's fun for people. I don't know why you would collect digital anything, but hey, people are doing it. That's the concept of NFTs and stuff. It's kind of becoming a thing. The only viable argument I can see for buying these online, and you know, this is coming from someone who's done it, is that it requires a lot less physical space. I agree. That is one thing about it. And I oh. think I think that I think that people would be much more inclined to um would be much more inclined to buy into the concept of digital stuff if there wasn't such a problem with licensing, right? Because you hear horror stories all the time of, I bought this game, but you don't actually buy the game like you physically own it. You buy a license to use it in that form, and then at some point that license gets taken away in the form of like the game servers get taken down or the service you bought it from gets taken down or something where people lose access to the the way they you have to think about it. It's not that you bought the game. It's that you bought the game. You bought the ability to play the game in the way that you're buying. Does that make sense? Yeah, you buy a license to play the game. You don't buy the game itself. And yeah the publisher or developer or whomever at any time and point can pull said license. And although a lot of the times it doesn't happen till 20, 30, you know, maybe five, 10 years in realis- reality, 
um it, it's a very common thing you know it's yeah. it's why certain games if it's something that you truly enjoy and you never want to let go of you know you may have bought it digitally to start with but consider picking up a physical copy well and maybe but that's the that's even the problem like online services are such a thing that even physical copies don't guarantee don't guarantee in fact most games nowadays let's be honest when you pop the disc in, it pretty much just downloads most of the game from the internet. I don't even know what's on discs anymore, you know? So, um, the disc is your license. Well, that's true. In those no. cases, it's, it's literally just a, a code to say, yeah. Hey, this person can access this content. Yeah. It's, it's, cr- it's crazy. It's crazy. And I know on one hand, NFTs were seen as a solution, like, because when you buy something as an NFT, you tangibly own it it's unique it's yours but you know that doesn't that doesn't solve the problem for like people like us that are enjoying video game nostalgia where 20 years from now we may not have access to a game we like because of this concept of way online services and and games are are created nowadays but that's neither here nor there that's neither here nor there uh rob each week each week we'll tell you and our listeners a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a video game, can be about a video game console, can be about a person who makes video games, it can be about a technology or a place. It just has to be something relevant to video game history. This week, of course, we've been talking about Magic the Gathering as a, as a collectible card game and as video games. You know, one of the best parts about getting to do this podcast is that as we research for each episode, we learn to teach is to learn. Never forget that, you know, teachers learn every day too. So in recognition of that cycle of teaching and learning, we like to take a moment and talk about what we've learned today. So Rob, what did you learn today? Well, Dave, I learned that there existed a D&D that was kind of based on religion. That's yeah, weird to me. Yeah, it it wasn't so much a thing like a D&D that was based on religion. It just it was guidelines for how to add gods to your campaigns, like how to add gods, how to become a god, how to how to basically like what would it take for your person to give back to the gods and gain favor from the gods. That's what we talk about when we talk about like a God, like how do you engage with a God, you know? Um, so it was basically a framework for like, how can we bring gods and, and kind of not organize religion, but religion as a generality to most of these different role-playing books. So yeah, that was kind of fascinating. I never knew about it, nor did I know it was wizard of the coast first game. Or I know they were sued over it. So a lot of fun things came out of Primal Order. So And that, that was exactly it. I didn't know that there was a religion based D and D and that it led to a a lawsuit for Wizards of the Coast. It's you know, it's it's one of those interesting like, hey, it's cool that they were able to recover from this because how different things would be if it weren't for Wizards of the Coast, you know? I mean Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, sure. Wizards of the Coast is a lot bigger than people seem to realize. Oh, it's huge. It's huge, and that was mostly bolstered by magic. So, 
I mean, I mean, they have other things now, but I mean, uh, this is this is it. This was this is what made them, you know. Um, this is definitely what made them. Definitely. And what about yourself, Dave? What was your big takeaway from this episode? I never knew that Richard Garfield made other games. I didn't really talk about him, you know, for sake of time. But he's made other games after Magic, and I never knew about Robo Rally. Um, that was fascinating to learn about. And I'd never heard of like his how magic was an early concept called five the five magics that he essentially started thinking about as a teenager and it just hung with him. And when he was asked by Richard Atkinson to be like, Hey, I'm looking for a really like simple collectible game that people can sit down and play really quickly. And he's like, Ding 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 ding. What about taking cards and combining it with this concept of five magics and away you go. We later have magic the gathering. So it was kind of fascinating how he got there no doubt um that's the first time i've ever looked in the history of magic you know i've been playing it i've been playing it since 1994 maybe not off and on but once in a blue moon once every other year or so at this point in my life but i'm still playing it right uh and i never knew at all where it came from so that's kind of cool yeah Definitely. No, it's 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 always interesting to, to learn and take a deeper dive into something that you had for so long because, you know, it's it was joy at the time and you just never really thought, well, how did this come to be? You just knew, hey, this is fun. I'm enjoying this and enjoyed it. But then to be able to take a step back and say, well, how did this come to be? It's it's what we do here. It is what we do. We create. We allow you to learn the history of some of your most beloved and some of the most hated games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Rob. Well, before we take it out of here, uh, is there anything that you would like to add to the conversation today? As always, Dave, I just want to take one quick moment to say thank you to so much. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. It means the world to us. And we hope that we bring a little bit of knowledge to you each week that you listen to us. And if you knew everything, well, then why don't you join us as a guest and tell everyone what you know? Because, you know, we do this week in, week out and learn. And uh, if there's someone out there who already knows it all, well, teach us. Give us give us a break and let us learn from you. Very, very, very true. Yes, thank you indeed. Well, next week, ladies and gentlemen, our episode is going to drop on 420. So like the childish idiots we are. We're going to celebrate by taking a look at a history of drugs in video games that can be a drug themed video game or a drug in a video game. We're just going to take a we're going to celebrate 420 and blaze it up. I, I guess that's what the kids say, right, Rob? Yeah, 420, blaze it Yeah. Uh, drug Wars was originally released for DOS in 1984. That's where we're going to start. And we're going to see how the depictions of drugs you know, uh, evolved and progressed as time went on. So yeah, stick around next week as we blaze it up on yet another trip down memory card lane to the thing. Scooby-doo-dum-dap-dap-dap-doo-doo.